familiar story this morning that uh, probably most of you learned and talked about back in looking at the age of this group, probably back in Sunbeams. Uh, how many of you remember Sunbeams? Been around the Baptist church long enough to remember Sunbeams. And uh, old, old uh, faithful, familiar story. Uh, been around long enough, you remember uh, they had the pictures that uh, looked like kind of watercolor paintings that they would use to tell the stories with. Was one of those that uh, we told the children a lot, and uh, unfortunately, it was one of those stories I think that got kind of assigned to preschool, and it's been there ever since. But it uh, has a great uh, lesson, I think, uh, even for us today, and it is the story of the four friends uh, who bring their crippled friend to Jesus and are unable to get to Jesus. And so they take and go up on the roof and rip a hole in the roof and lower their, um, lower their uh, friend down in front of Jesus for a healing. Uh, interesting, uh, I started to uh, play it this morning. Uh, I was, uh, you have internet and you Google uh, Mark chapter 2 verse 1 and up across the top, click on where you have the option to choose to see videos. Uh, they have a reenactment of it, and uh, it's uh, kind of um, startling a little bit to actually see it played out, to see Jesus there in the crowded house teaching, and all of a sudden the sun starts shining down uh, on his head, and the dirt starts falling in as they uh, rip open the roof. Uh, but uh, that story uh, has a great meaning and a great lesson for us today. Uh, about uh, what it takes to reach people. What's involved in reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I would say it's a fairly uh, safe statement that everyone in this room uh, and everyone joining us online uh, has a friend or a family member, someone we know, uh, who needs to know Christ. Uh, who needs a relationship uh, with Christ. And we're not exactly sure what to do. Uh, it's, uh, some people are way more difficult uh, to introduce them to Christ than others. And so we're sometimes a little bit, uh, a little bit um, flustered, uh, confused uh, as to what exactly, uh, how to go about uh, getting someone and, and showing someone, introducing someone uh, to Christ. Uh, but this story uh, of these four friends, uh, the four men who have uh, a crippled friend that they want so desperately uh, to meet Jesus. They've heard about Christ. They've heard about his miracles. They've heard about his healing. heard about his teaching. And they so desperately want their friend to, to meet Jesus that they go to where he is, and he's laying on a, uh, on, a, on a pallet, on a mat, whatever, a towel, whatever you choose. Uh, they come up, each one grabs a corner and hefts him up and carries him through town. Uh, you can imagine some of the looks, perhaps some of the questions they got uh, as they came through town, uh, lugging this fellow along. When they get there, and their hearts sink, uh, as they arrive and the crowd is so great that 
they're, they're, they're not able to get in. It's completely uh, full and packed out to the door. Uh, and they stand there a minute uh, trying to figure out what we're going to do. I can uh, imagine that uh, they probably uh, maybe tried to, you know, wiggle their way through the crowd, push their way in, only to be uh, probably not greeted with, uh, hi, how are you doing, uh, kind of welcomes. Uh, and so they backed up and thought about it a minute. And many of the houses in that time, uh, the way the roofs were made, uh, they would uh, take and lay beams across uh, a flat roof and then lay uh, sticks and branches across that and then put dirt and mud and pack it in on top of that. And then uh, grass would grow on the roof and uh, try to make it somewhere uh, near, uh, try to keep some of the water out. Uh, and so they would often have uh, a set of steps went up the side of the house uh, to get up on that roof, is, which is where uh, it functioned basically uh, as the front porch was uh, that flat roof. And so apparently either that or perhaps maybe the neighbors had something like that. They went up their steps and stepped over. However, uh, they managed to get up on the roof. Uh, and when they got there, they began to, they began to dig and dig, the, dig a hole in the roof and eventually uh, lowered him down in front uh, of, uh, of Jesus. When Jesus sees this, uh, he is uh, so moved uh, that uh, he forgives the sins and heals the man. And in that simple story, uh, we have four elements that uh, are important for us to understand bringing someone to Christ. And it begins with those four friends. Uh, those four friends represent to us, obviously, some committed servants. These are four men uh, who are uh, determined uh, to get their crippled friend to Jesus. Whatever uh, it takes. As again, he entered into Capernaum after some days and it was raised um, that uh, that noise that he was in the house and straightway many were gathered together insomuch uh, that uh, there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. Couldn't even get up to the door. He preached the word to them and they came into him bringing one sick of the palsy uh, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Four men struggling. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, tried to, uh, to move someone uh, who is uh, basically unable uh, to help you, who is, uh, for lack of a better phrase, dead weight. They just, uh, they can't do anything to assist. They can't even, you know, reach up and wrap their arms around your neck and hold on. Uh, you just have to, uh, to grab them. Uh, you can imagine on top of that, then uh, trying to, uh, the, 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 the pain in the hands after caring for a while, gripping uh, that towel, carrying this man, uh, getting him there uh, only to arrive and find out that there is a crowd so thick, so deep, that all of your uh, efforts and all of your energy, your great plan uh, has been apparently thwarted. You're not going to be able uh, to get your friend to Christ. You're going to have to carry him home. You're going to have to find another day something. Something, uh, your plan 
uh, isn't going to work. Uh, so I can uh, imagine, if you can envision this with me for a moment, they get there, they see the crowd at the house again, they probably tried to elbow their way in for a few few moments and got uh, quickly uh, corrected uh, for that effort, and, and they probably decided, well, let, let's sit him down here and think. And so they set the man down there in the street, and stood back and looked at it, and they looked around, and they thought about climbing in the windows, but the crowd, there was a crowd over there, and they looked around, and finally somebody said, well, let's go up on the roof. And, okay, you know, and uh, these guys had to be ready, that, okay, ready, you know, go ashore. You know, and, and so they grab him up, and, and they carry him up on the roof, and they get up on the roof, and they're like, now what? Uh, and they look at him a minute, let's head down again. And, and they begin to say, well, let's dig a hole. Yeah, and uh, so they began to 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 to, to do a little uh, a remodeling project, uh, probably still on Simon's mother-in-law's house. Uh, she needed a sunroof anyway, and, and so uh, they began to dig, and, and they, you know uh, they they began to dig through uh, that uh, that roof. And again, I told you how uh, it was made, so you know uh, that as Jesus is standing there teaching, and the Pharisees are standing there listening, uh, they're getting pelted in the back of the head with dirt, mud, sticks, and everything else uh, falling through. And uh, these uppity Pharisees—they're not going to be real pleased. We hadn't known Jesus long enough to know how he's going to take to it. Uh, but uh, they're determined they're going to get their friend to Jesus, even if they have to rip the roof off the house. They are that committed uh, to getting, getting this man an audience with Jesus. They cared about him that much. They, they had that much confidence in Jesus. They had that much concern for their crippled friend that they were willing to tear off the roof of someone's house to get Jesus uh, to meet this man, to get this man uh, in, in front uh, of, uh, of Jesus Christ. They, they, had, that, uh, they had that much uh, again, confidence in, in Christ. If we can just get him to Jesus, we don't know what, but something miraculous is going to happen. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we know that if we can get him to Jesus, it will be better than it was before. We are, we, we're, we're not sure of everything that, that's going to happen. We're not sure of all that uh, Jesus will say. We're not sure how Jesus is going to take to us dropping the roof on his head. Yeah, we're pretty sure how the Pharisees are going to take it, uh, but we don't care. We, we don't care uh, the labor. We don't care. Think, think about this for a moment. What's going to happen when this man's family finds out they've been toting their, their loved one around and dropping him through roofs? Yeah, uh, yeah, they, they're going to have to, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure about all the laws and things of that time, but, but I think it's safe to say that they know that if they tear the roof off, they're going to have to fix it. They're, they're going to have to bear the expense and the labor of fixing this roof. But they are determined to get their friend to Jesus. They are that committed to getting this man in front of Jesus. Uh, again, the, the, the audience inside, they're going to be not real pleased. Yeah. You, you, you know, I, again, 
I, I want him to see Jesus as much as anybody, but I want somebody dropping the roof on my head. Yeah, uh, that, that's, uh, yeah, that, that's, but they are determined that no matter the consequences, no matter the repercussions, no matter what everybody else thinks, no matter what everybody else says, we are going to get our friend to Jesus. Yeah, I can only, I got in my mind, you know, they get the roof pulled back and they're going to hit up. A little late for that one. Yeah, as they start lowering the man, you know, uh, through the roof. You know, imagine being on the ground and looking up, and when it first starts through, you can't tell what it is, who it is. It, you know, the, the, all you can see is something. You know, it, is it lunch? You know, who knows what's happening up there? These men don't care public opinion. They don't care uh, about any of those things. By now, these four men. Yeah, I, I, I have this vision in my head of looking up and you've got this hole in the roof and you've got four now sweaty, dirty, fingernails covered in crud, everything else, and at each corner of the roof you got a head. Yeah, peeking over the edge. Hey, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine that scene for a moment? And again, as they look at that, can you take for a moment, can you imagine the look on the Pharisees' face? Can you imagine the look on the rest of the audience's face as they looked at it? As they looked, you know what that tells me about this? They really loved this man. I don't know again all the laws of the time. But I've got to think that somewhere, somehow, ripping the roof off of somebody's house is a violation of some kind of law. Yeah, I, you know, I hadn't read the Jewish law book all, you know, I hadn't been down to the Jewish police department and checked that one out, but I'm pretty sure there had to be some kind of rule, some kind of policy, some kind of law about you can't just rip the roof off of somebody's house. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But again, they love this man to the point of what you might call it vandalism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, but they were willing to do that. You, know, you can imagine as the dirt started falling, there were people in the house, what are you doing? Stop. Are you crazy? Nope. Just kept right on digging. You know, about by, by this time, I, I got to think there was somebody who figured out something on the roof. And, and they went around, and they went up on the roof. And they're probably standing there, uh, they, yeah, we ought to quit, you know, trying to stop them. Everybody's trying to stop them from, uh, from digging this hole and getting this man to Jesus Christ. But they are committed. They are committed. Bible doesn't tell us that this was the father of, of any one of these four men. It doesn't tell us that he is the brother of any one of these men, the father-in-law of any one of these men. It appears from all the texts that he was simply a friend who lived in the same town as he But they loved him and cared for him so much that they were willing do anything to get him to Jesus. That begs the obvious question 
of us today. How committed are we to getting our friends to Jesus? We have family and friends who are far more desperate than a paralytic man. We have family and friends who are lost, who don't know Christ, who are on their way to a devil's hell. How much do we love them? Do we love them enough to do whatever it takes? Are we willing to rip the roof off if need be? Are we willing to pick them up and carry them if need be? To get them to Jesus Christ. First thing that it takes if we're going to see people come to know Christ are committed servants. People who are willing to risk embarrassment. People who are willing to go against the flow. People who are willing to do what may not be popular in society. People who are willing to take a stance, take a stand that does not necessarily agree with popular opinion. To do whatever it takes to get someone to an audience with Jesus Christ. Why? What brought you, those of you in this room, who know Jesus Christ as Savior, was there a committed person behind getting you to Jesus? Was there someone who loved you enough to come in your, I mentioned Sunbeam class, come in your Sunbeam class, to come in your Sunday school class, was there someone who loved you enough to pick you up when maybe no one else would bring you and bring you to church? Someone who would pick you up and bring you to Bible school when maybe no one else would? Was there someone who sat down and told you about Jesus? I'm willing to speculate that every person in this room, if you, you may have to think about it for a moment. If you give it a little thought, you go back here. Oh yeah, I remember them now. It may have been far enough back. You may have forgot their name, but you remember their face. Or, or you forgot their face, but you remember their name. But if you think about it, somewhere there was a committed servant who was determined to introduce you to Jesus. You may have not even realized they were there. You may not even known the part they played. But they were in the background making sure that there were Sunday school, Sunday school was being taught, making sure that those sunbeams were taking place, making sure that, you know, that they weren't the one who stood up and was all splashy and everybody knew who they were, but they were the ones who were making sure that faithfully their offering was in the plate so that their church could continue. Somewhere there was at least one person committed Seeing you find Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Wouldn't it be really sad to finish your life on this earth and not one 
solitary, single soul be able to say, She is the reason. He is the reason I'm in heaven today. He prayed for me constantly. She wept over me. She pleaded with me. She shared the Bible with me. She told me Bible stories. He picked me up. He taught my RA class. He taught my Sunday school class. He took me fishing. And while we were fishing, he told me about the fisher of men. Wouldn't it be horrible to arrive in heaven and not have a single solitary person there because of your influence. Got to be committed servants. Got to be a compassionate Savior. Look in the next verse. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I don't have adequate time or probably intelligence and training to deal with everything that just went on in one little verse. Why the first thing Jesus said to this man when he was lowered down, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. There are a couple of thoughts. One being that the general opinion of, of most, especially in that time, was that someone who was in the condition he was in was in that condition because of sin, because of some kind of sin. So the first thing Jesus says to him is, Jesus says, your sins be forgiven. Now, the crowd in that house were bamboozled, to say the least. Who does he think he is? What does he think he's doing? Why in the world... Would you say your sins are forgiven to a man who's laying there crippled, perhaps having seizures, you know, joints deformed, uh, unable to, to walk, unable to move? What this man needs is somebody to get him off of that stretcher. What you and I know in hindsight is what he needed even more was his sins. Forgiven. He needed his sins to be forgiven. Would Jesus have been a compassionate Savior to have said to the man, rise up and walk and let him run out the door, jumping and shouting, going down the street, just having a ball and have left him in his sinful condition? That wouldn't be compassion, would it? I mean, it'd be good. I'm sure the man would be tickled to walk again. But at some point in time in his life, some point in time in his journey, he's going to say, wait a minute, I needed more than my legs healed. I need more than my paralysis dealt with. Eventually, he's going to realize he needed his sins dealt with. Jesus here is demonstrating for us the, the compassion uh, that, uh, that is needed. 
Jesus, as he says to him, he pronounces, he simply says, your sins are forgiven. I want you to think about the compassion even of that statement. He didn't ask you, why would you do it? Wouldn't that be typical of most of us? Why would you do it? He didn't place any blame, any accusation. He simply forgave the man's sins. Called him son. Son, your sins are forgiven. The word that's translated son there means child. My child, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, looking at this man, responds in compassion. He responds, giving and do giving this man, doing for this man what he needed most. Folks, I, I think sometimes even in the church today, even among Christians, we have got just a little bit skewed in what this world needs most. This world, yes, there are a lot of hungry people. You can go to heaven hungry. There are a lot of people who need roofs over their head. You can go to heaven without a roof. You can go to heaven from underneath a bridge somewhere. There are a lot of people with earthly needs. And, and I would be deceiving you. I would be horribly wrong. If I didn't tell you the Bible teaches us that we are to minister to those needs as well. We're commanded to take care of the widows and the orphans. That, that's, it's clear from Scripture that we have a responsibility to take care, to help with earthly needs. In fact, you probably maybe have seen the sign, church sign as well. I don't know if it's ever been on our sign or not. It says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Not saying we don't take care of earthly, physical, social needs. But what this world needs is not more food stamps. Not more food pantries. It needs Jesus. Desperately, desperately needs Jesus. Does it need, do, 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 does this world need to meet compassionate believers? Absolutely. Does it need to meet, do the people of this world need to meet Christians and churches who have compassion on their, on their earthly issues, on their problems? Without a doubt. But that does not even compare to the need they have to meet a compassionate Savior. We need committed servants determined to get their friends and family to a compassionate Savior. Now, if you have to feed them along the way, feed them by all means. If you 
you have to buy them a jacket in the wintertime, along the way, give them yours. You got more than one, I guarantee you. They need a pair of shoes, give them yours. But what they need most of all is a Savior. These four men could have took up an offering for this crippled man. They could have made it their lifelong task to always be sure that he had the medical care he needed, the food that he needed, that he never had to sleep in the street, that he got the, you know, the attention he needed, that they went by and talked to him, that he had the social interaction that he needed. They, they could have done, they could have carried him to the barber, got his hair cut, they could have carried him to the pond, gave him a bath, they could have kept him in new clothes, they could have done all of those things. But they knew the thing he needed most was to meet Jesus. We got some parents. I mean, this is free. I wasn't playing on this one. We got some parents who need to know that it's more important that their child meets Jesus than they learn how to dance or hit a ball or kick a ball or do a gymnastic flip or they get good grades. That the most important thing they can give for their child is a compassionate Savior. I'd rather my children be illiterate and know Jesus. Now, I want them to be able to read and write and know Jesus. But if I got to pick, it's a no-brainer. As harsh as it may seem, I'd rather my children be hungry and know Jesus. We've got to get people to Jesus, folks. Not to church, not to the latest program, but to Jesus. Committed servants, a compassionate Savior. But then, let's just go ahead and deal with this third element. The confrontational shepherds. wasn't the people in town who got upset. It was the Pharisees. Whether it's easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. Obviously, the, the ruling body, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, had heard that there was a prophet. <clears throat> In Galilee. And they had determined, and rightfully so, that was their responsibility, it was their duty, to go and to check out this prophet and make sure uh, that he wasn't teaching uh, blasphemy, uh, that he wasn't teaching uh, insurrection against Rome, which would bring down the Roman army against, uh, against them. And so they were, they were within their right going to check Jesus out. Where they left the paved road and went down through the bushes was when Jesus said to this man, 
Your sins are forgiven. They respond by saying, yeah. they had a heart stroke. They, you know, they, they lost their mind. Who does he think he is? Only God can say, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus, I can picture Jesus going, yeah. You're right. Your point? Only God can forgive sin. And they begin to get riled up. They get angry. Because Jesus has said to this man, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's what Jesus says is, you know, it's really easy to say your sins are forgiven. Say that your sins are forgiven. Say that your sins are forgiven. Tell that your sins are forgiven. I probably do that all the time. You know, until I get hungry or thirsty. You know, Clark, your sins are forgiven. You know, Archie, I have to work on you. You've got a lot of them, but your sins are forgiven. Tell me your sins are forgiven. Jim, your sins are forgiven. Let your sins are forgiven. All of us, everybody, your sins are forgiven. I'd be scared. No problem. I knew that. Bring some more folks in here. I forgive it. I say the same thing about sins. Anybody can say your sins are forgiven. Jesus says, that's not that hard to do. Which is hard? To say your sins are forgiven or tell this paralyzed man to get up and walk. Well, that's a no-brainer. That's an obvious answer. It's easier to say, you know, if you bring a crippled man in here, and then you bring a sinner in here, and tell me, Jimmy, you got to tell, forgive one of them sins, or let the crippled man walk again. I'm going to go with the sinner all day long. You know, your sins are forgiven. You don't know. You know, it's easy to tell a sinner their sins are forgiven. The Sanhedrin are livid. They're, they're riled up. And it's going to get worse. Because then Jesus says to the crippled man, Okay, y'all don't like me telling you the sins are forgiven. You say only God can do that. Well, probably only God can do this too, right? Get up. Take up your bed and walk. See, they thought when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they have. Ah, uh, this man's blaspheming. Because when, again, only God can forgive sins, so if he's saying your sins are forgiven, he's claiming to be God, let's lynch him now. We got it. This man's a false prophet. This man's a blasphemer. Arrest him, handcuff him, off with his head or whatever. Jesus says, one second, which is hard. What I just did or this. Rise up and walk. One of the things I mentioned a moment ago, when I came across that video uh, replay and reenacting the scene, was when Jesus said to the man, rise up and walk, and he began, his paralysis fell off of him, was the Pharisees turning around and stomping out of the house. They were hot. They were unhappy. 
about what Jesus had done. I want to tell you something. The third element of getting people with Jesus takes committed servants and a compassionate Savior. But you better buckle up for some confrontational shepherds. Some people, even in the church, won't like the renewed emphasis on Jesus. It's sad, but it's true. I'm not going <clears> to <throat> tell you the litany of stories I have heard over the years of churches who were seeing people come to know Christ, who were reaching people. I, I will go this far. One of them in this general area, I'll leave it that vague, in this general area was reaching children and young people in the projects, government projects down the street from their church. And those young people, those people, those children, many of them of a different race, with different nationality, of a different economic background, started pouring into the church. And if I were tell you the name, many of you would know this person because they were a very influential person, stood up in church one Sunday and said, we don't want those kinds of people in our church. If you think for a moment that you becoming all evangelistic and becoming a committed servant of getting people to a compassionate Savior is going to be met with a parade down Broadway, you are living in la-la land. Because you know what happens when new people come to know Jesus? They do things differently. They see things differently. It takes them a while. Some of them don't ever quite catch on to it. And they dress differently. I shared with you the pastor, a friend of mine, who had a young man come into their church and got saved, and he made the royal mistake of sticking a microphone in his face and saying, what do you think? God hadn't sanctified his vocabulary just yet. <laughs> he said, I learned the lesson. Be careful where you stick a microphone. Know that there are people. Pray there are people that will object to you bringing people to Jesus. Why are we spending all the church's money on that? Why are we doing, putting all the effort into that? And what we really need is to paint the ceiling or something. Now what we really need is committed servants giving people to a compassionate Savior. Because then and only then do you see in the final verse. Immediately. I love that that word is included in Mark's gospel. Immediately 
he arose, took up his bed, and went forth before them all. Nobody could deny they all saw it. Insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Your sins are forgiven, leads quickly to arise and take up your bed. Who can say whether or not his sins are forgiven? But everybody was amazed that he walked away. If a person truly meets Jesus, he will live differently than he came. He was carried in and lowered through the roof. He met Jesus and he ran out the front door. I love the passage. One of my, one of my favorite passages of the whole Christmas story is when the wise men come to meet Jesus and it says they left a different way than they came. Now I know that means they went on a different, on a different road, but I don't care. I like that they went home differently than they came. When someone meets, when a committed servant gets a person, an audience before a compassionate Savior, there's going to be some uh, confrontational shepherds. That person will become a walking, talking miracle. They will never be the same. I'm going to ask you that question one more time. Wouldn't it be horrible to get to heaven? Some of you have heard, I know, because it's been sang here. Dale, Dale, wherever he is, uh, Dale has sang the song. Thank you. He says, I, I dreamed I went to heaven. And there you were waiting for me. He said, you don't remember that you talked to Sunday school class. You asked people, and that day I asked Jesus into my heart. Uh, that's not the exact words. You get the point. Can you imagine getting to heaven? And as people are arriving to heaven, folks are running up to them, hugging their neck. Thank you. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Thank you for telling me about this place. And you're standing there. And there's not a soul in heaven because of you. There's not one person in heaven because of your influence, because of your words, because of your prayers, because of your commitment. There's not one. Let that sink in. Secondly, when a person meets Jesus, he leaves different. This morning, sitting in this room are a group of people who I want to ask you this question. If you've met Jesus, 
Did you lead differently? What is different in your life today because you met Jesus? If you can't name something, if there's not a difference in your life today, then the next question would be, have you really met Jesus? Everybody I read in Scripture that met Jesus lived differently. You're here today and you don't know Christ. It's very the, the brutal, honest truth this morning is you don't know Him. Would you come this morning and let me show you from God's Word how you can be saved today? How you can be like that crippled man. You can leave here differently than you came in. Christians, is there anybody in heaven because of your influence? Have you been a committed servant? Lord, I haven't done real good up to this point, but with the rest of my life, with the rest of my breath, with the rest of my days, I want to commit myself to bringing people to Jesus. What they do with Jesus is on their own. That's their decision. And I'm going to do my best to introduce them to this man called Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for these four friends who have shown us, taught us the importance of getting our friends and family to you. That there are believers in this room, believers joining us online, who meet this morning to make this Memorial Day weekend truly memorial, to commit yourself for the rest of their lives, they're going to bring people to you with all that they can. It means tearing off the earth. God, there are others who need this day to be truly, truly a great move into today. Their life has changed. Just as radically and drastically as the crippled man who ran out the door, if they come to know Christ. God, if there's one here today who doesn't know Jesus, touch their heart, deal with them, serve them, and today will be the day of salvation. And we'll give the honor and glory for all that you do in this place, which in Jesus' name I pray. And you have to shame. Redeemer. I need to be different. I need to be changed this morning. I need to be saved.
Thank you. 